welcome to the Three Bald Guys Talk Marketing Podcast with Three Bald Guys. Fred Peritsky of FCP Digital, Paul Schindel of Three Bears Communications, and freelance writer Rodney Warner. Thank you for joining us once again for Three Bald Guys Talk Marketing with me, Rodney Warner, freelance writer. I'm Paul Schindel, uh, Three Bears Advertising Marketing Communications, uh, full service communications from strategy through implementation in all media. Fred Peritsky, FCP Digital, full service digital marketing agency specializing in website design, search engine optimization, search engine marketing. And once again, thanks everybody for, for joining us. And today's guest is Mike Krupit. Right. So I'm going to uh, say a few words about Mike. Mike um, was and is my business coach for the last five or six years. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. So Mike runs a company called Trajectify, which he founded in 2013 to focus on coaching entrepreneurs of young companies and small businesses. And he's a veteran of eight diverse startups, both in the East and the West Coast, and has been a fixture on the boom and busts of the last 30 years. So we're very lucky to get somebody with Mike's uh, background. You can go to his website, trajectory.com, to learn more about what he does and how he helps. Or you can go to like his us. other website, trajectify.com. Oh, trajectify.com. What did I say? We all do these scripts. Trajectify. Dot com. That's T-R-A-J-E-C-T-I-F-Y.com. I wasn't going to let Fred get away with that. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How's business, Mike? Um, well, like some of my clients, I feel a little guilty saying business is great, um, only because I know that there are so many small businesses out there that are suffering right now and individuals who work for those businesses in, in, in dire straits. But um, we, we've grown. We've added five new clients um, since, you know, since, uh, since mid-March. And we found that um, by leaning into, you know, this current normal, right? And I call it, I don't call it the new normal because there's a next normal coming up real soon. Um, and it's always going to be different. But uh, we, we leaned into it and it's, um, we're, we're busier than ever. What do you think the reason for that is? Do you think a lot of it has to do with the situation that we're in or it was just the right time for these companies to look for your services? I, I think it's a combination of, of factors. Uh, um, I hired a new business coordinator late last year. We put a lot of effort into building a pipeline. So in part, we, were we continued to service our pipeline. So some of those deals were well underway um, that we were able to close in the midst of, a, of an economic crisis, but, but we did get them closed, but they had already started. To your point also, in this crisis, in a period of uncertainty, that's when business owners, business leaders get, get scared, right? And, and it's, we, it's the, a point of time that we realize that we need help, right? I need someone else's perspectives. And that's been, um, and, and uh, the one of the other thing I should say is we need an unemotional perspective. So, you know, at a time like this, we might be emotional. Who can I talk to that will be more objective and, and, and less emotional about it? And so, so it's been an, it, it's been opportunistic for us because we that's exactly what we do for our for our clients. What types of businesses do uh, tend to attract as as clients? Are there 
particular categories, industries that, um, that you're finding? I would say about a third of our clients are tech businesses in part because of my own tech background and, and network. About a third of our clients are uh, B2B businesses, professional service type businesses. And about a third of our clients are more traditional establishments, you know, restaurants, um, textile restoration business, box business. So um, we're pretty evenly distributed in, in those three areas. Um, and, and I should say most of the businesses are on the, on the low side, about a million in revenue on the high side, about 25 to 30 million in revenue. What are the, uh, the most common mistakes or areas of improvement that you see with your, with your clients? Typically strategy, money, and people, right? Those are the three areas that we tend to deal with. And it, it's, we try to build their confidence in those areas because most of us as entrepreneurs have enough of those skills that, you know, if we didn't, we probably wouldn't have started our own business. And so, um, so, so what we do is not like what you would find in an episode of Bar Rescue where something has been so mismanaged for decades. We tend to work with smart people. We tend to work with people who, who, who are just looking for that, that boost in confidence and add some new competencies to their, to their skill set. Strategy, you know, I've, I've, I've hustled for the past few years. Now, how do I become more strategic about what it is I'm doing next? Where do I go? So for the first time, we might be asking someone, what's your vision? What's your 10-year plan? What's your succession plan? Strategic questions that they haven't answered, asked themselves yet because they've been hustling. The, uh, the finance piece, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs where, where um, they've built a profitable business because it was organic and it had to be. But the financial planning, the financial strategies, the financial management is something that may, they may not be comfortable with. They may come from a product or a service background and not have had ownership of the fiscal um, uh, health of a business. And then finally, the people, right? How do I build my team? How do I lead my team? Gal is a, is a big issue in, in organizational development for a lot of our clients. Yeah, I found that when uh, I started my business, I had uh, no coach, nor did I know what a business coach was. I knew Mike, of course, for years. I knew that's what he did, but I really didn't know how it would help me. And my business, in my mind, was becoming successful, but I knew there was something missing. It was successful on a very small scale. So I, I reached out to Mike and he, he helped me uh, learn so much. You know, when you run your own business, there are a lot of things that you, in your mind, you know you should do, but you don't know how to tactically do them. Should I raise my prices? Should I not? You know, I was afraid to raise prices. I was afraid to do a lot of things. But Mike's goal with his clients, I don't want to speak for him, but in my case, is to push you out of your comfort zone. In many ways, he pushed me to have an office outside of my home, pushed me to do things I wouldn't want to do, like a video or doing a podcast, something that I always thought about. But then it just, you got to do it. Just go out and, and do it. So even though your mind tells you things that you should do without having a coach or a mentor, it's not going to happen. Like Rodney could tell me, Fred, you have to raise your prices. You got to get out of the office. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to just say to Rodney. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when you, when you're paying a coach who has the experience and is objective and not emotional about it, that's the big difference. That's really very important. And that's, you know, think about anything we try to do in life, right? First, the internet is full of all the answers, right? Well, you know, maybe not always the right answers, but everything that I coach, everything that, Fred, you might want to learn in building your business, you can Google it and find it. 
but that's not the hard part, right? The hard part is the, under, the accountability and the understanding, why aren't I doing it? Or how can I best do it? And that's, you know, when you think about when you go to a gym, right? Is it more effective for you to have a personal trainer who's guiding you through the whole process or for you to just kind of build your own discipline to get out to, to a, the gym every, every week or every day? Sometimes you need that outside in perspective and that accountability that comes with it that, that sort of encourages you to do what, what you kind of know you should be doing. Talk a little bit about what you did before you started your business you know, how you started your business and how did you market your business when you first started off? The first segment, I was the, I was the software geek. So I, I started out um, in New York City and then ultimately Silicon Valley um, building software. Um, and I built software for a number of different startups. And with, when the, as the startups grew, I got a chance to do more management and grow uh, my skill set as well. So that was about the first third of my career was managing software companies. And then there was this pivotal time um, when I was um, uh, working at CD Now. Uh, it was one of the first companies to retail music online um, back in the in the mid '90s. I was given the opportunity to grow from CTO, Chief Technical Officer, to Chief Operating Officer, and then subsequently to Chief Executive Officer. So the way I described in the course of my five years working with CD Now, I, I basically got an MBA and a career's worth of, of business experience and having to deal with markets and economies and booms and busts and we merged with our closest competitor and we nearly went bankrupt and we sold the company in a private auction and we took the company private and man i mean what what software engineer gets to do all that stuff um and so but this so that second um trimester of my career was really focused on, on now being the CEO of, of growth stage companies. And I went from CD now to a, an automotive company, a spin out from Princeton university. I went to a, um, a company that was uh, another tech company dealing with swapping books, music, movies, and video games. I went to a social networking company. I went to a, uh, a healthy food company. So the, the, the second four, you know, the first part of my career was four startups. The second part of my career was four startups. But in that second part, it, I was focused mostly as the CEO um, responsible for the, you know, the vision and the money and the people and the, 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 the strategy. And then after eight startups, we, we closed the eighth one down. We couldn't make it sustainable. And, I was 50 years old and I'm looking at myself. It's like, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> what do I want to be when I grow up? And it's like, all right, well, I had run an incubator. And I, I, let me tell you a little bit about how I got there because that's, that's an interesting story. Um, Fred, you've probably heard this one mm -hmm. before, but, but I, it was like, um, I didn't know what to do next. And so I started networking. And in hindsight, over the course of three months, I networked. I had 75 one-on-one -on -one networking meetings plus a whole bunch of networking events, but 75 one-on-one -on -one events. The first month I started exploring in each of these networking, in these meetings, what problems were there. And what I heard was mentorship. But I'm thinking, all right, well, mentorship's not a business. Mentorship's just something you do when you retire and I'm not looking to retire. So my second, so, but I realized I had been trained as a coach when I ran an incubator in between a couple of the companies. So I went to um, the second set of meetings, the second 25 meetings in month two, and I started asking about coaching. And by the end of those meetings, I realized that coaching was a business I can do. So I took a step back and I figured out, all right, well, what does a business model look like? And then I went, I did my third set of 25 meetings validating that model. 
And so over the course of three months, I did a, you know, it, and I didn't realize I was doing this. It wasn't strategic, unfortunately. But when I look back on how I approached it, I really peeled the layers through a whole bunch of market research. And the end result was when I launched the business of August of 2013, I had five clients within five weeks. And that's, the, that's one of the scariest things when we launch our business, right? If you build it, will they come? right? I, I, I wanted income. I didn't want to live off my savings, right? It's like- And, uh, and then you got to do the work. Yeah. But, it, but it, so for me, it was that validation process I went through was validating because the minute I had that first client, you could breathe that sigh of relief. It's like, oh man, maybe I can do this. And, and so, so just that preparation helped me hit the ground running. And, and I'll tell you that those first five clients are, are the direct result of those 75 networking meetings. Um, so I, I didn't realize I was doing biz dev at the time because I didn't realize I was starting a business. So that was the, you know, that's the story of how I got, I got to Trajectify. Um, and from there, you know, I'm happy to share if you want any of the organic growth we've done since then, because that's, that's, you know, a seven year journey. But, um, but it was the first time I've ever built a services business where, you know, time is money. Been a pretty thoughtful journey for me. So as far as marketing your, your new business, was this all... Uh, networking or how did you market when you started off? Yeah. The first couple of years I stuck to my comfort zone. It was, it was networking. It was, you know, hand-to-hand combat. It was word of mouth. It was referrals. Um, I didn't really approach marketing um, strategically at all at the beginning. I'll describe it as my clients sometimes describe themselves. I was, I was a hustler. I was hustling. I have no regrets about that. It was a smart thing to do. I was doing content marketing as well. So I was just trying to do some thought leadership and, and started a blog and, and started some speaking engagements. But for the most part, I was, you know, I was doing business development the way any solopreneur would be. At some point, I realized that wouldn't work when, like many entrepreneurs, I got distracted for a moment and I picked up a couple of side projects unrelated to Trajectify. And so I realized I needed help within Trajectify. So I went to a couple of colleagues and I asked, would you take over some of my clients? And they did outsourced in a sense, my clients to, to, to some, some uh, contractors. When my side project stopped and I went back into Trajectify full time, it's like, oh, wait, I have a team now. Am I going to take my clients away from them? It's like, well, no, that wouldn't make sense because that wouldn't be fair to them, right? They really bailed me out when I needed them. They were in good money, my, by the way, but I wasn't, I, I said, I'm, I'm going to just build a new book of business, right? I'm going to just keep adding onto the business as opposed to shift it all back to what it was. And that was a very pivotal point for me because it was a big decision. First, I realized, man, I'm building a business. It's not a lifestyle company. The second realization was that if I wanted money, I had to go, actually, I, I couldn't hustle anymore because all of my hustle work was the low-hanging fruit that got the business started, but I had turned that over to other people. So now how do I get more deterministic, right? To use my computer science words, right? But how do I get more deterministic, a, a, a specific about lining up new clients? And, and so I built a marketing strategy and started at that point, you know, halfway into the, our business's um, history to, to start to be more strategic about marketing, having a plan and following a plan and measuring and, and you know, holding myself accountable. Um, wasn't always successful at it uh, because, it, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a marketing coach. I didn't have a CMO coach. So it was, it was a little bit of a challenge holding myself accountable. But for me, it was a, you know, the turning point was midway through the business where I realized that it was bigger than just me. So I better get more strategic about it. You did a lot of uh, networking and you still do with uh, meetup groups. 
you want to talk about that? Like the, the bootstrappers group and other ones yeah. that, that you've built around in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. The networking events have a, I'll say a bad reputation in part because I probably contribute to that bad reputation because networking events are serendipitous. You never know who's going to be there. You never knew who you're going to have a chance to have a conversation with. It's hard to be strategic at a networking event, right? You can hustle a networking event and collect as many business cards as you can, but then you don't have meaningful conversations or you can have meaningful conversations and therefore in a room of 200 people only talk to three people. Either way, that's not an effective way to use a networking group. So for me, it was like, well, what's the best way to network? Well, I'm going to be the guy in the front of the room. So I started my own meetups. And, and by doing that, I could easily meet 100 people at the meetup um, because I was, the, I was the guy who, had, who, who determined the schedule, who determined the guest speaker, who had the microphone. And so I started, um, I, I brought from the, East, from the West Coast in Silicon Valley, there was this concept of the bootstrappers breakfast. I brought that here to Philadelphia. A colleague and I started the Philadelphia New Technology Meetup, and I, and I then made event planning, event marketing part of my strategy, part of my marketing strategy. Um, but the trick for me was, how do I get more involved? And, and ultimately, how do I get to be that, the guy at the front of the room, not one of those random attendees who, who might or might not get value out of this event? And you've gotten, I'm sure you've gotten some clients that way through these events that you run. I wouldn't say directly. It's, you know, it's hard. Like, you know, you, you guys are, are all gurus in marketing. You know, it's the last touch that always gets the credit for, for that conversion. What about all of the, you know, how do we track everything we've put into right. the, into that client, that prospect before then, um, especially when it's something like a networking event. Um, but it was interesting. So I, I, I looked at one of my, um, one of my clients and I, and I did a, um, because I never delete emails, um, I, I looked at my history of emails to figure out how I met them. It was someone who I met at a networking event, introduced me to someone who subsequently introduced me to someone who subsequently introduced me to someone. It was five introductions, well, four, five people, four introductions that led me to someone who ultimately became a client. Was that Kevin Bacon? <laughs> no, he, it takes him what is it six or seven six, right? he, at least six yeah yeah, yeah six, I, I, six degrees yeah no i did that i did that in four <laughs> well this is philly so you could really ultimately do it in three or less i think with your um coaching clients how often do you meet them i'm guessing you might have done it in person at one time back mm-hmm. in history now i'm guessing you do it uh by zoom or similar you do. Uh, but how often do you meet with them and um, what kind of, you know, structure does that, do those meetings have? A typical coaching relationship is twice a month. Um, there are clients who are more easily distracted and who have more intense needs. So we might meet with them once a week, but typically it's twice a month. And the goal is to, to work with them, to set goals, to keep them accountable for the path towards reaching those goals to help them deal with the, the, the challenges that they find along that path. And so we'll do conversations anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half, depending upon, again, the, the pace, the cadence for, for change that they're looking for. Um, some are in more of a rush than in others, but it, it's a very therapeutic process, right? It's a process that's, you know, that happens over, um, over time. How do you deal with, with clients who, despite their own nature, their own best, uh, best intentions, are um, 
resistant to implementing or procrastinators in, in taking things from one place to the next place? It's not uncommon. <laughs> and I'll tell a couple stories. There's, there's actually two entrepreneurs who I've worked with um, that I'm actually um, working with. Who have, who have struggled over, over time in, in doing what they say they're going to do. And in part, maybe we're easily distracted. 60% of all business owners and entrepreneurs are ADHD. And there is a scientific study to back that up. Um, it's because we do well better working for ourselves than working for someone else's structure. But we might be distracted. We might lose sense of our priorities. We might, uh, we, we, we might, have, we might get pulled into the weeds too much. And so what I tend to do in those situations is get more granular in my accountability. It's like, show me your calendar, share your calendar with me. Hey, do you want me to send a text message to you every day? Because I will do that. Um, but ultimately, you know, what happens is over time, if it's not succeeding, we're not meet you're not meeting your goals. How am I helping you? Right. So at that point then is the opportunity for me to fire a client, right? Why waste your money on me if you're not making the commitment to this process, right? We charge, we charge money, we charge cash money to work with us, right? We don't, we don't do it for equity, we don't do it for goodwill or, or skee-ball tickets, right? We do it for money because that means you have skin in the game. And look, if you're spending the money and we're not delivering service, I, I, don't, I don't need that reputation, right? So I, 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 I would, so there's, these, there's, a, there's one client who I probably over the course of the past few years went into a meeting with them intending to fire them. And then there's something that happens in that conversation where there's a spark of progress. It's like, oh man, I've been saying this for six months and they finally get it. Now I have to keep doing it. Obviously, they're just picking it up more slowly than I anticipated. And I've had one client who I've, um, who I've, I've done that at least three times. And each time, each time I think I've, I've hit a wall, there's that spark. And we've been working together now for over four years. Another client who I felt the same way until um, the business started to get worse. He's like, oh, this isn't working. And so we explored why it might not be working. And there was a couple of aha moments of self-awareness, uh, self-realization. So it's like, we need to do more of this, not less of this. That client now, that, that was about a year and a half ago, that client now is our biggest client. They've continued to invest more and more in all sorts of coaching, consulting, and leadership development services that we do, that they've grown from just a, a coaching a single entrepreneur to coaching nearly half the organization. Can you tell us about, um, without revealing names, of course, a, a real success? I know that most of them are, are a success. I can I count myself that my business wouldn't be where it was without your coaching and mentoring because you do get stuck, especially when you're a solopreneur. Even if you have other colleagues and freelancers, you still need somebody to go when you're stuck. What do I do? If you don't have that person, even in a large corporation, everybody there has some kind of mentor. Yeah. I'll give you a great story. Entrepreneur of a business that had been growing nicely, I found him, which we can talk about later through LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn sourcing. Um, so it was based on a, a LinkedIn connection. I, I reached out to him. We had a conversation. His business, he basically tells me, I hate my business. I hate my product. I hate my industry. I haven't been in the office in over half a year. Um, the business, by the way, is successful. Maybe, maybe because he hasn't been there for the last six months. <laughs> That was helpful, but it wasn't the right answer because the business was stuck. The business was stuck. There was no leadership. What he actually asked me to do was help him figure out how to sell it. He wanted out. So one of the things we started to work on, and by the way, I didn't want to work with him 
in a, in, in the coffee shop, I worked, I made him come into the office, right? We worked in the office together, right? So now he was starting to come into the office to meet with me. And what we started to do was talk about how to, how to reframe the business so that it's more sellable, right? So that will maximize the value for the business. And we worked together for a few months on making a lot of changes to the business until subsequently he realized this is a great business. I don't want to sell it. And so then we worked on implementing changes within the organization that made the organization healthier and sustainable. Um, and that meant, you know, hiring a few more leaders and really rounding out the management team. But it was, you know, for me, the success was, right, that it, it was an eight-month opportunity. I worked with them for eight months. And it was a real opportunity for me to sort of shift the perspective, right, by the, you know, by talking to them with this outside-in perspective, with this unemotional perspective. You know, they were stuck on the inside looking out, and it, looked, it, it, it felt terrible until you start to look at it from the outside end. Yeah. So that, I mean, to me, that, that, that's a success. It, you know, I, I didn't get to coach the leader long-term, but that's not the help that they needed from me at that moment. Um, where some of my clients, you know, like the, the stories I share earlier, uh, you know, it's a four and a half year journey to turn them from the founder mindset to the CEO mindset. You know, you mentioned LinkedIn. I, I would imagine somebody in your position, that might be a really good tool. I mean, how has that worked for you? Going back a year and a half ago, I wanted some sales coaching. And uh, I'm not a natural salesperson. I'm really good at selling complex relationships, but I'm not good at selling products. And I really wanted to get my, one of my goals for the year, a couple of years ago for my business was to make sales more reproducible, right? To take some of the mystery and the, the, the Mike's, you know, magic out of, out of, uh, not Magic Mike, by the way, Mike's magic <laughs> out, of, out of the whole sales process. And so I, um, I said, I'm going to get a sales coach. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have someone who pushes me out of my comfort zone because that's how my clients grow by me pushing them out of their comfort zone. So I had a sales coach and she's like, we're going to use LinkedIn to do some of your prospecting. And, um, and she taught me how she did it. And it's like, well, I'm not going to do any of that. That's you know, like she, <laughs> one of the things she wanted me to do was um, make 125 new connection requests a day. And I said, well, but no, but I only connect with someone on LinkedIn who I know. So you don't get to be my LinkedIn connection until we meet. And she's like, no, that's not what the platform is for. <laughs> and if you're going to use it as a platform to do business, you need to get, you need to just get over it. And so she taught me the program. And then the rule was I had to do it her way until I mastered it and then I could do it my then I could make it mine. So I committed to doing it her way. And I followed her process of doing connection requests, sending a certain type of message, scheduling a call based on that message. If they didn't respond, sending a different kind of message. And I did this all manually um, and I had an assistant to help me. I didn't want to automate it because I didn't want to risk, you know, LinkedIn, uh, violating LinkedIn terms of service and losing my account. I, I did it. I had, I had the funnel all set up, right? Um, 125 connection requests is going to result in 40 people accepting them. And of the 40 people accepting them, I'm going to review their profiles in more detail. And 10 of those might be prospects or, or qualified leads, I should say. So I'm going, to, I'm going to send them a message. And four of those people are going to respond to my message, and which is going to result in a 20-minute phone call. And then one of those is going to end up converting. 
So 125 connection requests a day should convert to one new client. Which is, which is more or less a, a classic sales funnel kind of structure. It, it is exactly. And, and the thing that I loved about it was it was measurable. I'm a math major, right? I, I love measurable things. Taking those actions, following scripts, connecting with people who I don't know, that was way out of my comfort zone. I did it as she said, as she prescribed, and it worked. I got exactly the results. In fact, I beat the results that she was telling me I would get. So at this point, no need to make it mine. I'm just going to keep doing it the way she taught me. And the So um, you're saying she beat you into submission and you, you were willing. <laughs> well, I, I was paying for the training and she was telling me exactly what I should do. And, you know, look, I, I can be on both sides of the table. And so when she says, listen to me or you're wasting your money, I listen to her. Did you do that with a LinkedIn premium account or just a regular? The LinkedIn um, sales navigator. Mm -hmm. Yep. What one or two or three pieces of advice do you have for your current uh, clients and for those listening for the short term, assuming that, you know, the, the current scenario of, of COVID anxiety and uh, restrictions will be, you know, reduced in, in the months ahead, let's say. In the meantime, what should, what should business owners be doing to market their uh, businesses and to simply to stay afloat if that's an issue for them? Yeah. So, and, and every business is going to be different. We, you know, the, the catering business I was working with, you know, completely decimated technical recruiting, but any, any recruiting or staffing businesses, real trouble for them as well. You know, some B2B SaaS companies, tech companies are thriving, right? I've got clients who are up 70%. So it, it is, it's different for everyone, but in general, I ask people to, I, I had this, I started this framework called fact fiction and fantasy, Right. The, the fact piece is the, the, oh shit, what happens now moment where you realize that the fact is, what do I do tomorrow? Right now. And, 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 the, and I started this, you know, eight weeks ago. The fact is now that a lot of people have gotten through their fact period, right? How do I pay my team? What do I do with my team? What do I do with my clients? You know, can I even go to the office? So there was a lot of facts that we had to deal with immediately right you know and, and 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 so most people have dealt with the fact phase the fiction phase was but i don't know what comes next that uncertainty how do i plan right do i reforecast how do i how do i what kind of risks do i take what kind of risks do i avoid and so there was this fiction piece where we just had to make stuff up because you can't you can't do nothing right you can't just sit there in shock you need to do something and so we had a project what the future would be. So we had to create some fiction around it. Now, honestly, we're doing that every year. Anyhow, every time you make an annual plan, it's full of assumptions. Those assumptions are fiction, right? Oh, I think I can grow 20%. I think I can get seven new clients. I think I can launch this piece of software. We're always creating fiction about our businesses. In this case, we, you know, maybe it was a little bit more um, science fiction, but um, it was because it felt unreal there was that fiction phase and that's mo where most of us are right now. Like, how do we recover? How do you build a recovery plan when I'm not quite sure what's next? Can I go back to the office? Can I not? Will there be a second wave? Um, will the economy start to start to kick up or was it going to, is it going to be another bottom? So you got to do the fiction piece, but the fiction piece is just, it's planning. It's our strategic planning, our tactic, our operational and tactical planning. The, the third piece is where I spend the most of my time with, and that's what I call the fantasy piece. Good's going to come out of this, right? 
no matter how bad it's hurting a business, no matter how bad it's hurting an individual, no matter, you know, and, 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 and outside of the whole health issue, which is, which is certainly a serious um, consideration in all of this. Um, but for our businesses, what's the fantasy? How do you lean into the opportunity that this creates? So for me, for example, I'll, I'll share an, ex uh, you know, I, part of my goal this year was geographic expansion. Well, I've now accelerated my plans by six months because geographic expansion in the middle of a pandemic is a lot easier than geographic expansion when everyone's expecting to have lunch with you. So I can go now into a new city as a business coach and have the same advantages of any of the local coaches because none of us can take you to lunch. For me, the fantasy was, here's an opportunity to start my geographic expansion. Does that, Mike, does that expansion have, um, have a, a, a geographic definition or, I mean, are you saying you, you're going from, uh, you know, from greater Philadelphia to South Jersey and Delaware, or are you saying the whole country's open? I mean, now that we're virtual, right, the whole world is open for the most part. And, and, We've always had a good geographic footprint anyhow, predominantly New York through Baltimore. We do have clients on the West Coast. We do have clients in Boston. So it's not like we're, we're limited based on geography. And we have done some of our coaching remote um, because, I mean, there's a lot of history for remote coaching. A lot of coaching historically has been done by phone. Um, but for us, we had, a, you know, our core was the Mid-Atlantic where we have a physical presence. So when we decided to geographically, to, to accelerate it, um, I wanted to accelerate in areas where at least we had some credibility. So we're, we're picking a few targets predominantly from Boston through Florida, right? Oh, the East I guess we'll call that the East Coast, <laughs> the Eastern time zone. Um, but we are, we are definitely, um, we are definitely um, trying to limit it only because for me, it, it, it feels less overwhelming. I just need a boundary so that I, I don't feel like it's, it, it's overwhelming. And so we, we, we ran a, a campaign in, in Florida, and I'm now spending a lot of time with um, talking to prospects in Florida. Today, the East Coast, tomorrow, the world. Well, yeah, yes, of course. Um, maybe we'll go central next and then mountain time. <laughs> we'll do one time zone at another one. Three of us talk a lot about uh, what, the, what the business world is going to look like soon in the next weeks, months, whatever. Will people be comfortable going back into offices, let alone businesses, but it, offices and uh, co-working spaces? I know you've worked a lot with co-working spaces. Do you see more people and more companies being comfortable with employees staying at home instead of having to bring them in, spend the money for that space when they've gotten the work done during this time in a different way than they're used to. From what I'm hearing, you know, and I, I'll, I'll extrapolate from what I'm hearing as opposed to what I'm reading in the media, um, but it sounds like a lot of businesses are gonna be going towards a hybrid approach we're not going to vacate our offices because there is a lot of benefit that we have from having a headquarters, from having those interpersonal communications, from seeing each other face to face. Um, but we also realize that um, we can't go back to where we were in part for at least for the foreseeable future. Not everybody wants to be in the office and because of the social distancing where we can't pack people in at the density that we used to. 
So I think we're going to see a real hybrid approach, um, especially for, for, you know, mid-sized businesses that are saying, all right, well, maybe I'll have some people come in, you know, Tuesdays and, and Thursdays, and some people come in Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays will be a work from home day. But these are businesses that have been forced to experience the work from home culture, regardless of whether they wanted to embrace it or had something against it to begin with. It's now part of their current normal. They know what it. They know what it takes to be successful. So I think we're going to see real hybrid approach. Um, I think co-working is going to change because you can't pack us in as as tightly as you used to. At, at that point, though, I I don't know you know how you make some of those models cost effective. Right, co-working was affordable because of the density of people. How does it, how do you now how can you afford it when it's when it how can you how can you charge the same prices when you're now having people at socially distant um, spacing? So. Um, I think there's some things that we still need to figure out, but I think we're going into a world where everything is hybrid, that you're going to have to be as comfortable on Slack and Zoom as you are, um, you know, on I-95 and in an elevator in an office building. This was great. Mike, thank you so much for being a guest. Uh, I know I always learn a lot from our conversations. I hope the rest of the uh, three ball guys and our audience uh, has the same impression. So what's your, so what's your takeaway, Fred? My takeaway is uh, accountability. It's, it's the most important thing in life and especially in your business. And to have somebody coach you that you can say, I'm stuck. Right? What do I do? Where do I go now? So accountability, that's my takeaway. How about you, Paul? I think it's that when you have, um, when you have the right safety measures in place, sometimes you just need someone to push you over the cliff. You know, what strikes me is the chaos aspect of what we're going through. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with chaos as a cancer survivor. And when you have cancer, you just, it's just a fact of life that all your plans have pretty much gone down the tubes. <laughs> so, so you just got to roll with it. The parallels, the more I look at this, it's almost like the whole world is getting cancer treatment. And I, I think, I think a lot of businesses are learning lessons that, you know, us cancer survivors learned a long time ago is that things never go according to plan. I mean, it's great. It's great to plan, but, but you really gotta, you really gotta be on your toes. And when things change, you gotta be ready to change with it, whatever. That's what I can think of anyways. And thank you, Mike, for coming here and, and all that coaching wisdom. And it's been great. And thank you again for your time. And, Thank you, Fred and Paul, for your time. So, And thank gonna... you. And Mike, why don't you tell, tell our listeners how to get in touch with you, talk to you about your coaching and other things. I appreciate it. Thank you for the time and the opportunity to get to know you guys and, and talk to your, your listeners. The, uh, the website is trajectify.com, T-R-A-J-E-C-T-I-F-Y. Um, I can be reached at Mike at trajectify.com um, or just search Mike Krupit because um, I'm, I'm completely Googleable because leadership, thought leadership and content marketing is a big part of our strategy right now. And there's and probably I'm, not a not a whole lot of Mike Krupitz out there to search, I would imagine. So. I've, I've been blessed with a uh, with a unique name. My unique name is Paul Schindel. I'm Three Bears Advertising and Marketing Communications, Princeton and the East Coast, uh, working our way to the mid Midwest and the West Coast uh, after the coronavirus. Uh, Paul at threebears.com. Spell it out. T h r e e bears. Fred Peritsky, FCP Digital Full Service Digital Marketing Agency. 
with offices in Richboro and ultimately in Philadelphia when I'm allowed to get back there. And as Paul usually says, and the world through the internet. You can reach me at fred at fcpdigital.com and the website is fzpdigital.com. Thanks for listening. And now Rodney. Yeah, I just want to uh, thank everybody for listening. Uh, thank you for subscribing. And I can be reached at rodneywarner.net. You can drop me an email at rodney at rodneywarner.net, imaginatively enough. So thank you again. Until next episode, thanks for coming. Welcome to the Three Bald Guys Talk Marketing Podcast with Three Bald Guys. Fred Peritsky of FCP Digital, Paul Schindel of Three Bears Communications, and freelance writer Rodney Warner.